thank you for joining us live on the air. My pleasure. Today on the Veterinary Viewfinder, we're talking about vets in pop culture. Under God. Television, the drug of a nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation on television. The drug of a nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation TV. It seems you can't turn on the television or look at YouTube today without encountering a television or reality veterinarian. How real are TV veterinarians? Are they good for the profession? And what are some of the lessons that we'd like to share with our TV colleagues? This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. There's a reason why less than 10% of our nation reads books daily. I'm your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. Have we had a run in veterinarians on TV, guys? In fact, I don't know if it's good or bad. Recently, the AVMA weighed in on one of these shows, and they urged them, and I'm quoting, more reality in this television show. Dr. Cindy, what do you think? Goodness. So I think I was one of the first generations to grow up on some reality veterinary TV. I remember ER vets on Animal Planet when I was in high school. And actually, in a weird turn of events, uh, Dr. Pansiera ended up being one of my instructors at Virginia Tech, and he would not let you talk about his experience on that show at all. So <laughs> it, it's been kind of interesting seeing that side of it as I was coming up, and it seems to have gotten a lot more dramatic and a lot less realistic since uh, that that trend started in my eyes. That is a great, uh, great point. There seems to be now a new generation of veterinarians like Cindy uh, and veterinary technicians were raised by TV vets. What, what's been your experience? Well, I definitely think there's opportunity out there. I think it can sort of raise awareness about the profession, although maybe it, it may or may not be in the right way. But I do think that... Um, I find myself observing these shows and thinking what the possibilities are. Right. And as someone who has spent a large part of my career in front of the public, you know, all those years uh, on the Rachel Ray show, you know, I'm used to delivering scientific content in an easy to understand format for viewers. So I'm, I'm used to hitting three to, to nine minute hits, you know, and, and I don't have to be outlandish. and I don't have to, you know, have a ponytail or tattoos to get my message across. But it seems like today, Cindy, you know, the more extreme you are in practice, the more mm -hmm. eyeballs you attract. Yeah, and it definitely seems like the variety of veterinary shows has really expanded. So we have a lot of veterinarians in exotic locales, right? So we have Alaska veterinarians and Australian veterinarians and Rocky Mountain veterinarians. So people practicing in a lot of strange places. Yeah, and what do you think about that, Becky? I mean, how realistic is it to look at someone in the Yukon or in the wilds of Hawaii and relate to your own community vet? Yeah, you know, it can be really difficult. And I and I try to keep that in mind and say, you know, that's not an experience I've ever had. Sometimes I think it's really eye-opening because you think, boy, I, I never thought about what I would have to do if I had to take care of an animal who was 27 miles from an accessible road. And, you know, what are the things I would bring and how would I be really prepared? I mean, I think we think mobile practice is a challenge, let alone hiking out into the woods to provide care. I think that the main conversation around television vets in the past five years has centered around one individual. And I think we're talking about Dr. Pohl. Cindy, 
first of all, as a as a part of the generation that was raised by TV vets, what's your take on Dr. Pohl, at least as far as his quality of care? You know what's interesting is for me personally, being raised by this generation of TV vets and being a young veterinarian who's frankly really, really busy, when I have TV time, I don't spend very much of it actually watching TV veterinarians. Right. So a lot of us end up hearing about these folks by reputation. A lot of us end up hearing about them from our clients or from the media in general. So we're hearing about the the specific shows where things are going wrong, or they're not following standard of care, or you know we're hearing about them getting sued or things like that. So so it's it's tough because I know we're definitely getting a lot of the information that's that's on the negative side and saying, gosh, we we really just don't necessarily want to be getting compared to a person like that because um, we're getting all this this negative side of it. Right, and I, I guess you know since you and I are veterinarians, we can weigh in a little more heavily yeah. uh, on these standards of care issues. And you know, so when you see veterinarians like Dr. Pohl and they're practicing, I mean, he is 75 years old, so God bless him, but he is practicing, you know, maybe like medicine 75 years ago. Um, I, I do wonder the, the impact that has on the pet owning public. Yeah. And I hear from veterinarians who they have a client come in and they say, oh, well, you know, you're such a great veterinarian. You're just like Dr. Pohl. And they, they don't take that as a compliment. And right. it's interesting because from the client's perspective, they're they're trying to just say you're a compassionate, caring veterinarian. They don't perceive the standard of care in the same way that we do. And sometimes we have to explain that. And I want to point out that age really has nothing to do with standard of care. I worked with a veterinarian who was practicing at 70, and he was up to date on all of the latest and greatest stuff that was going on. He was reading all of his, uh, you know, going to CE all the time. And he showed me that just because you are an older veterinarian does not mean you have to be an out-of-date veterinarian. Wow, I love that, Cindy, and I couldn't agree more. You're right. Age is no excuse for practicing substandard medicine. Becky, there are over 1.4 million viewers each week from for Dr. Pohl. They call themselves the Pohl Nation. We've seen 100 episodes of his show over 10 seasons. Overall, would you weigh in or would you care to comment on if you think it's been a positive influence on our profession or maybe not so positive? Ooh, I really like to think of silver lining and try to be a positive person. So let's see what I can do with this. I think that it has brought our profession as a whole to the table and given us the ability to have conversations about standard of care and to talk to our clients about like, well, well yes, that is um, something you may have seen a veterinarian do. However, here are the reasons we do or don't condone or practice that way. And it gives you an opportunity to have that conversation. But I have to have say personally, professionally, as a whole, I feel like it's damaging. I feel like when we have to justify higher standards of care because what's being seen are the lowest standards of care, I, I, I resent that personally. Yeah. And I think uh, there are definitely good and, and bad pieces of that. I think the TV format in and of itself makes it easy to oversimplify. It makes everything look really, really simple if you have to fit it into a short time frame. There are definitely pluses as well, depending on the type of show that's out there. Um, I think there's a show called Vet Life, for instance, that's helping illustrate some of the diversity in veterinary medicine. So I was I was kind of excited when I saw that show coming out. So there are definitely uh, good and bad. I think we also want to highlight 
the number of shows that are out there where there's not a veterinarian involved, where maybe there should be. And we as veterinarians often have to repair some uh, client education damage that's been done when there are trainers or there are quote unquote experts giving pseudo medical advice on some of these shows that may not necessarily be appropriate. That is an area that we need to police more because at the end of the day, we're trying to give accurate information to help pet owners provide better care for their pet. And sometimes we're, we're now you know being confronted by mixed messages and we're, we don't even know what they're talking about sometimes, but they saw it on TV. They saw a YouTube video and there we have, we have to try to dispel this you know myth that's going on out there. I guess my biggest concern overall. So if we just sort of look at all of these sort of t- television shows, this new generation where everything seems to be a bit extreme and maybe the standards of care aren't quite what I practice is, are we spreading the message that somehow veterinary medicine isn't held to the same standard as human medical care. Like, can you imagine Dr. Pohl appearing on Gray's Anatomy in the neurology suite, you know? I mean, are we spreading the wrong message about our standards of care? That's a really good point. And I guess I haven't paid enough attention to whether or not there is anything at that level on the human side. Um, I, I don't even know. Is that something you guys have looked into? I, I, I don't know of anything like that, but there's no... I guess there is kind of human medical planet and they have plastic surgery shows and and other things like that. Um, Maybe we need to be looking into some of our our human medical colleagues and seeing how they feel about those kinds of programs. I don't know that standard of care is really, you know, a forefront of consideration on the writer's mind and in in the producer's mind when they're creating these shows, be them veterinary or medical uh, on the human side. I think that um, when I watch either of these shows, um, be it reality-based or or more the Grey's Anatomy or like Nurse Jackie type, they really do play on the weak spots that get emotional connections and um, the most reaction in the most cases in my experience. And so um, I think it comes down to the world likes extreme. And so whatever they can play on in the extreme side of things is what they get viewers to watch with. And, and, And I don't think standard of care is prominent. And I think you're right, Becky, because they are finding the weak spots, the vulnerabilities in the profession. And nowhere are we more vulnerable as a profession than money. And I think that is why we really have to watch these types of programming very carefully, because are they spreading the message that cheap equals caring and not cheap equals greedy? Cindy, what do you think about the impact that this is having on how we deal with clients from a financial standpoint? Right. And definitely, I think any perception that comes across in a mass medium like that can make it seem like, well, that's just normal. Um, If it's showing up on TV like that, that must be the norm. Um, And so that may be something that our clients come to expect from us. Right. If you watch these shows, you see a lot of story arcs that start out like this. An owner who is despondent, their dog or cat or horse or goat needs immediate care, yet they're limited in funds. So they find a rescue vet, a Dr. Pole, a Dr. Jeff, a whatever, and somehow they come to the rescue and do it for no money and maybe poor standards of care. We're not going to get into that right now, but does that then paint the profession, you know, the average veterinarian out there who's just trying to make a living and provide the best care possible for their patients? Does it make them appear greedy, Becky? 
I mean, I think it sets them up to appear greedy. I think it sets them up to make it look like all they're about is money or, you know, doing the best medicine. And and I mean that kind of tongue in cheek in the way that the client's like, well, why can't you just do this and find a more simpler fix than the more scientific or more higher standard of care practice that you're trying to do to get the best outcome? And having to justify that over something that's publicized on TV and backed by people who have no idea what they're talking about as far as the producers go. And, and, and I question sometimes putting veterinarians in these situations where, you know, if you want to do this job or you want to have this show, you got to make it look easy and make it look like this. Um, that can happen. And so I, I think it sets it up for failure. Yeah. And, and again, the most difficult conversations that most veterinarians and veterinary technicians will ever have with a client involve money. And sometimes these shows portray it as, hey, what's the big deal? Just give them an injection. It'll be fine. Or what do you mean you can't do that surgery for free or for almost no cost? You know, I mean, of course you can. You're a vet. You care, right? Yeah. And then on TV and in fiction, it, it always seems easier. And, you know, one of the things we haven't necessarily touched on yet is that another element of veterinarians in pop culture is is fiction. And veterinarians are pretty popular in fiction as well. We have Dr. Doolittle. There was um, a very short-lived show, I believe, on NBC that was a veterinarian show as well. Animal and again, practice. Yeah. It, it, that's another <laughs> That's a place. disaster. Do not yeah. look that one up. That With is a monkey. disaster. Oh, man. Um, I don't know about you guys. I don't know a single veterinary hospital that has a monkey. Also, uh, another interesting thing about uh, the kind of portrayal of veterinary hospitals in general, both in these reality shows and in fiction, is it is pretty astounding how many of the veterinarians are male um, compared to the reality of our profession. You know, we know that we're about, you know, 75% female in the veterinary schools right now creeping up there in our practices as well. Um, Yet almost all veterinarians that you see on these shows, not all, but almost all are male veterinarians. So I think that's really interesting as well. But you're right. Veterinarians are fodder for good storylines because, you know, we sort of have this this extreme, you know, uh, profession that most people can't relate to. And I think that is the problem when we look at some of this reality TV programming because let's face it, you know, they aren't interested in, as you mentioned before, reality. They're interested in telling a good story with drama and just ratcheting up the tension. But I have to wonder, is it set up this way, be it reality or fictional, because that's the perception of the, you know, non-veterinary community of that's what it's like. Do they think that we're back there with monkeys running our practices and, and having those types of days. And so I have to kind of wonder, is that the perception? And and do we set them up for that perception? Um, partially because we don't always put out there the more difficult aspects of our job. And we sort of talk about those sort of things as a way of, of making things look a little bit lighter in the veterinary practice. And how else does pop culture influence the ways that they're seeing um, the non-veterinary professionals are seeing our profession? Yeah, that is a really good point, because if you see a veterinarian on TV doing surgery sleeveless and with a ponytail, tattoos, whatever it might be, is that now somehow influencing the way you think you should be perceived by your public? Are you more likely to rip your sleeves out of your scrubs, get tatted up and walk into that exam room going, I'll fix it? Yeah. And I think we forget sometimes, you know, what duty do we have to put ourselves out there, even if we're not a reality TV veterinarian, 
do we have some degree of responsibility to affecting the public perception of veterinarians? Even at a more local level, I was just having a Facebook conversation with someone who felt like her dogs weren't doing great on their heartworm medications. And someone on their thread said, hey, there's this local vet who writes a local column. They're holistic and and they might have some recommendation for you about what kind of heartworm prevention to give. And, you know, I always get a little nervous about that. You know, are they really going to be recommending a product that will really actually prevent heartworms for this person's dog? So are are the veterinarians that are providing typical standard of care putting themselves out there into the media so that we're providing that context, that we're providing that information? Are we choosing to do that? Yeah, and that that gets back to this whole, you know, cheap equals caring, not cheap equals greedy. And look, you know, I, I applaud any veterinarian, any licensed veterinarian who's getting out there in front of the public and offering their opinions and advice, because I think it I think it is positive, you know, in most most situations. Uh, I'm like you, you always want to be, you know, on the up and up evidence based and so forth. But the reality is it is hard to put yourself out in front of the public. And I would say if you do it, just be prepared. There's going to be there's always haters. The Internet runs on Mm -hmm. hate. Uh, But I don't think it should prevent you from doing it. Now, Becky, from a, a veterinary technician, we've kind of focused on the vets out there in popular media. You guys aren't as maybe um, prominent. How? What can we do to get veterinary technicians in front of these cameras? Right. That's what I was going to say. We haven't really focused on it because it's really not a focus. There really isn't anything going on with veterinary technicians um, being featured in these shows. And and I hate to be cynical, but anytime I do see a veterinary technician um, on these shows being interviewed or talking, I always kind of wonder about the use of the term veterinary technician and are they credentialed or are they not? And, and that is, to me, language is important and using the correct terminology is important in perception of our, our field and I think that we are overlooked regularly and it's partially because we we allow that and we don't have that standard um, people don't know what a veterinary technician is so why are we even talking to the person who's just holding the dog wow that's a great point and I mean does NAFTA or you know, do they have any plans to maybe reach out to some of these shows and programs and YouTube channels and say hey if you're not using a veterinary technician you probably should here's some great reasons why and we can help I think we are now That's Cindy, I want to get back, though, to that first little point you made, that you were a generation that grew up on television vets. Did you, did it shape your perception of what the profession would be like? You know, like, I didn't have this. I mean, I worked for my local small town vet, you know, growing up in a rural environment, you know, around farm animals. I didn't have a TV version. I had James Harriet books. I mean, did it influence what you thought you would encounter? You know, and I think that's an interesting question. And I just actually read the James Harriet books recently, and I'm a huge reader. I read about 200 books a year, and um, I'm very intrigued by that question because when I read them, I was a little terrified about how the veterinarians <laughs> treated each other, which was not always very nicely, um, right. what they expected of each other, which was extremely long hours, lots of on-call, how they treated their team members, which was often not very nicely. And, and again, this money perception that often they were, uh, you know, the clients expected to not have to pay very much. They were getting advice from the guy down the street as opposed to from the veterinarian. So it seemed like a lot had not changed very much since the James Harriet books were written. So, yeah, I think growing up 
looking at TV veterinarians at a specialty practice that was high performing um, and had high quality care, you know, I think I did expect that, oh, well, when I get into practice, that's what my practice life will look like. And I think that is a little higher standard than a lot of general practices are, are able to provide. And I do think that might influence the expectations of uh, the level of care most clients will be able to give for for maybe my generation of vets. What about you, Becky? How how did this? How did these television shows influence your decision to go into veterinary technology or veterinary I, nursing? I don't think that they actually did, and I think it plays back to you know the point that they were not necessarily featured. But what I can say is if you watch those shows closely, you'll see what I've always argued is the basis of why I went into veterinary technology instead of veterinary medicine as a veterinarian is the majority of the care and the majority of the patient time and and education is done by the support staff. And even on these shows, you will frequently see that the veterinarian will give orders and kind of go off to examine the x-rays. And, and I know that behind the scenes, uh, the veterinary support staff is the ones getting the work done. So just to, to their point and to be there to kind of give them a shout out, um, that's why I became a veterinary technician and why I love it. Yeah. And Cindy, I can't help but sort of just contemplate, you know, you're... I'm guessing you were influenced by like, you know, my buddy Bob Taylor down at Alameda East uh, on Animal Planet Emergency Vets. Is that sort of the, are those the shows that you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. That generation. Yeah. So, I mean, I got to tell you, when those shows first came out, I was so proud of my profession. So that set a good example. But what about the younger people today? They're now watching Dr. Pole and the Yukon Vet and Lovin' Vets and all these other shows that maybe are showing a different side of vet medicine. How do you think that's going to influence what they think the profession is all about? That's a really good question. And I think there are potentially some big changes coming in our profession as well, just based on what clients are demanding in terms of convenience. Um, I think we are butting up against some financial limitations for some of our clients. Um, And maybe again, it's (laughs) going to, to make them think differently about you know, what clients are asking for. I, I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to go and practice old school medicine like Dr. Pohl. Um, but it does maybe shine a different light on kind of what clients are expecting and what clients are looking for. Um, maybe not in the best way to support a, a practice financially, unfortunately. Right. And, and again, an important point I want our listeners to to weigh in on because let's now imagine that you've got this sort of uh, landscape of these types of shows that maybe are a little different than the way I practice or or Cindy practices or or, or Becky does and now you are we going to attract a generation of veterinarians who are interested in that and more importantly are we going to repel veterinarians future veterinarians who really want to you know do neurology and they want to to learn about MRIs and the latest in chemotherapy I mean could there be a negative effect on the profession moving forward could we potentially lose a generation of forward-thinking really innovative types of vets because they look on TV and they go no that's not for me 
Well, and I think it's a really valid concern in the veterinary technician profession as well with an incredibly high attrition rate. If we're looking at these shows thinking it's this kind of action and this kind of um, practice, is it when we get out in the real world and we see that's not what it is, is that going to contribute to the loss of these professionals within our, our profession and our community? One thing that I think is interesting, though, is we also have some veterinarians being portrayed in pop culture that are doing different things. A great book called The Chimera Effect talks about veterinarians in involved in public health. Um, And again, I would love to see portrayals of veterinary nurses. I would love to see portrayals of veterinary entrepreneurs. You know, what other kinds of portrayals of veterinarians in pop culture could we encourage or emphasize to also help grow our profession and help our profession change in healthy ways? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think one other thing we haven't really touched on are sort of the beautiful vets. (laughs) You know, there is this, there is this other subculture of pop culture vets that are known for being very handsome, very buff, very beautiful, very bikini clad. (laughs) Cindy, what do you think about that? What does that do for our profession or not? So first of all, one of the weirdest things to happen in vet school was apparently The Bachelor was coming around looking for a male veterinarian to be on The Bachelor, which we all thought was hilarious because we were like, if there is a single male veterinarian who's extremely (laughs) handsome and eligible, I don't think they're going to last very long in this high female concentration area, but good luck to you. So I don't think they ever found one to my knowledge, but apparently they were looking really hard. Um, When, and I apologize, I forget his name. I think it's Ethan. Um, But there's the popular handsome male exotics vet who's really making the rounds these days. Um, Honestly, I've been pretty surprised by my female colleagues when that comes around. Uh, Let's just say there's been some locker room talk that I've had to be like, hey, guys, if this were the other way around, I don't think we'd feel comfortable with it. So maybe we should not do that. Wow, that's a great point. But the reality is, you know, I I think, are we emphasizing the right traits? This is just what pop culture does. If you're buff and beautiful, you're going to be prominently featured. But again, you know, I'm just sitting back here going, does that improve the standards of care for the pet patients that I love? One thing that also confuses me a little bit is that there are a lot of veterinary schools that do these semi-naked fundraising calendars. So there's a part of me that's like, was is that encouraging all of this in some way? And I don't I don't know what that really means in the long run and and why that's happening. It doesn't seem that harmful in the short run, but I, I don't well, know what the impact of that is in the long know, run. That's a really good point because most of these calendars are males. I'm not really aware of a lot of females that are, you know, wow, great point. Love to hear what our listeners have to say about that. You know, should we have more bikini calendars from vet schools or or whatever? Or should we just stick with the guys without their shirts? Yeah, I I don't think that would go over well at all. (laughs) I'd like to get your opinion on sort of the new media, you know, the YouTubes and the and the podcast and the whatever, you know, what role do veterinarians have to sort of make sure that they are portraying accurate depiction of what we do like on a YouTube or are there different rules, Becky? I'm not sure. Um, I think that the fun thing about social media is that there are no rules, but I think at the end of the day, you are responsible for respectfully representing your profession and you have to do what you can live with and what you think 
um, is the best way to represent yourself and the profession. And I think that high moral value and high moral standards leads people the best way every time. There is a lot of messages to get out there in veterinary medicine, be it to the general public or even amongst ourselves as professionals. Um, And we just have to decide where our standards are and do the best we can to stay on our moral path. I think as veterinarians and veterinary professionals, we should know and recognize that there is an emerging class of pet educator celebrities or pet blogger celebrities that are coming out there and that people are often getting information from them. Sometimes sponsors are going to them and people are buying products at their recommendation. And I there aren't a ton of veterinarians involved in that space. There's a whole community called Blog Pause that actually puts on a conference teaching people how to be animal and pet bloggers uh, and how to make money doing that. And I think that's something the vet community hasn't been extremely involved in. And it's something we we should know more about because I think people are going to get more and more information that way. I think there's a much hated meme out right now that has a list of over-the-counter medications for pets. And at least one of the doses I think is significantly wrong and bordering on overdosing and a lot of the other doses are significant or a lot of other information is significantly oversimplified and of course those medications are not safe for every pet so I I think we need a better veterinary meme strategy to to help deal with some of those elements. Yeah, well, this, this has been a great conversation. I mean, certainly I think that I think that veterinarians should try to get themselves out there more. Uh, I think we should be getting the right and accurate information to pet parents. And finally, I think that, you know, we need to be aware of how we're being portrayed even within our own profession. So I really want to hear what you guys have to say about these topics. I mean, we know that these are controversial issues and we know that there's going to be a wide variety of opinions, all of them equally valid. But I really want to hear what you have to say about veterinarians in pop culture and every week we have something new and different to talk about and something we want to get your opinion on so make sure to subscribe so you you hear what we're talking about each week you can find us on facebook at veterinary viewfinder and on twitter at vet viewfinder to interact with us and give us your opinion and don't forget to click and subscribe so you don't miss one exciting episode of the veterinary viewfinder